0: Hi everyone and welcome back to Safe Space, the Safe for Our World podcast. For those who don't know, the main goal of Safe In Our World is to create and foster worldwide mental health awareness within the video games industry. My name is Rosie and today I'm joined by Dr. Emma Ray, senior lecturer at the University of Southampton, who researches game studies and game design and was also a research fellow. Emma has previously looked at exploring the therapeutic effects of games for mood repair, building resilience and community, and is just about to start a new project, um, specifically in games and death and conversations between the two you so
1: welcome. Thank you very much, thanks for having me.
0: No thank you for coming on um, and as we were just talking before we hit record you were mentioning about your upcoming research which is just starting this weekend which is so exciting. Yes.
1: Yeah I'm really looking forward to it. Um, yeah so this is a project that I've been working on in collaboration with a research lab that's based at the University of Cambridge called A Good Death um, and their focus or their aim is to facilitate better conversations about death dying and bereavement by using literature art um and what i'm interested in specifically video games um yeah to try and see whether there are new languages new routes into these difficult um and sometimes like taboo topics and yeah we have our first um actual like focus group where we're bringing um death adjacent practitioners so people who work in kind of death industries um, such as like hospice nurses, um, or I don't know. I think we even have like headstone engravers um, joining us, um, and obviously doctors.
0: Oh my god, that's such a
1: wild variety. <laughs> I know it's amazing. Um, yeah, and the idea is to bring them with their expertise um, together with game designers um, and game studies academics to yeah, basically exchange ideas um, and try to come up with some some interesting research questions um yeah so we can yeah basically see what video games have to contribute to this kind of death positivity movement in general
0: and do you have any like personal experience in in games bringing you some sort of like different perspective on death
1: yeah definitely i think one of the reasons why i do video game research is because i really believe that certain really complicated facets of the human experience can be expressed through the medium specific affordances of video games better than they can in any other format that we that we have available to us so obviously I've you know I found huge amounts of like solace and like I don't know enlightenment or whatever through reading books and watching films and television series about what it's like to be human but I think one thing that video games can do which is quite unique is they can well firstly they have this sort of tactile haptic gestural dimension. So they can, yeah, they can kind of elicit embodied performances from you as a player, which I find really interesting, especially when, again, thinking about something like grief, which is not just a kind of cognitive experience. It's something that you experience on a, on a physical level. It's a social experience. It's a biological experience. It changes you on, yeah, not just a kind of, uh, yeah, sort of high level <laughs> way, but on, yeah, on this kind of multiple way. And the fact that video games are so multimodal, it creates the opportunity to explore that experience, yeah, across all those different planes. But also, yeah, video games are the the kind of emotional palette that they paint with are the emotions of agency, which are these kind of first-person emotions, emotions that you feel firsthand rather than experiencing them, them vicariously through empathy with a with a character. So when you watch a film, you can definitely feel with the characters. You can, yeah, you can use your kind of theory of mind skills to imagine what they're going through and relate that to your own experience. But in video games, you, you, you obviously do do that, like absolutely you empathize with fictional characters in video games. But you also are there in the first person feeling things like guilt, complicity, betrayal, triumph, frustration, and also, you know, even like a lot of sort of negative emotions that we definitely wouldn't tolerate in other media like boredom for example we have way more of a tolerance for for boredom or frustration or you know even humiliation sometimes when we're playing a game versus I don't think many people would (laughs) go to the cinema to experience just being like humiliated by a uh, you know boss battle (laughs) that makes you redo it (laughs) multiple times but yeah again so in terms of thinking about how we can explore these these kind of darker and more more difficult experiences the fact that you know video games they just we we approach them with this playful mindset that allows us to sit with those negative emotions more than we would do if we were just I don't know I don't know how long you'd like grind at reading a book I think if you had a whole chapter of just like collecting eggs (laughs) in a book you might put it down I don't know
0: (laughs) (laughs) it's true though isn't it and it's I find it so interesting is that like you are inserting yourself into the story, which isn't seen very often in in other types of media. And like whilst, you know, you might be in the cinema watching a particularly difficult scene that you don't really want to watch in Mm. games, like often you're forced to play it. (laughs) Absolutely, That's a big thing to do, especially if it's something that isn't necessarily something that you'd be doing in your own, you know, like moral scope and your own character, but it's you're living someone else's character. And like the only way to progress is to fulfill that story. But you have to play a part in that, which is really interesting, and especially when it's like, you know, moral dilemmas and and such like that must play a part in the different sort of emotional connection that we have to games.
1: Yeah, I think the best way that I heard it kind of described is that when you sort of experience empathy in other media, it's like you're walking a mile in someone else's shoes. But in video games, because of this like first person element, it's more like you're walking a mile in your own shoes down somebody else's path. And I thought that like small like difference kind of, yeah, it does make a world of difference. Yeah. And especially obviously, I know this podcast is super interested in like representations of mental health, but it really does make a difference because I think in you know, in cinema specifically, when you sit there as an audience member in the kind of darkened space, you know, you're invited to kind of forget that you exist, forget that you have a body and you're just this kind of ghostly voyeur who's sort of, yeah, looking in on the lives of other people on the screen. But sometimes in the context of like, yeah, depicting somebody who's really suffering, going through, yeah, I don't know, a really difficult mental illness, that can create A bit of distance where you feel like you feel more like pity let's say rather than empathy for that person and that's kind of best case scenario worst case scenario you might feel like you know fear or disgust or there's definitely some Mm -hmm. bad depictions of mental illness um, on the screen that allow you to kind of feel superior to it but yeah like in a game where you yourself are you're put into the same context as that person and you're you're kind of forced to make decisions and to try and take action whilst experiencing the same limitations and the same systemic structural restrictions that that person is going through. I think, you know, games like Depression Quest by Zoe Kinn, for example, captured a big aspect of what it's like to live with depression, which is the optimal option, the thing that you know you should do and the thing that you want to do is just never available to you as a choice. It's always there, <laughs> written in text, mm-hmm. but crossed out and non-interactive. And yeah, again, I think it's just for somebody who's maybe never experienced depression, they might use other media to, to really... And again, it's not a bad thing. I think feeling compassion for people is, is still good and valuable. But yeah, they might never really get it in the sense that they themselves have not been subject to those conditions. Yeah, exactly. Because I think it's very easy
0: if you've not experienced those things to be watching a film uh, where someone is clearly struggling and they're making maybe less than ideal decisions to be like screaming at the TV, being like, why are you doing that? Why are you self-sabotaging? Why can't yeah. you why? like just do this? It's the most obvious, easy solution. But then when you're then placed in those in those person's shoes or in your own shoes in their on their path, like you said, it becomes evident as to why that's so difficult or why that might not be an option for them at that current time. Uh, or the difficulty in making the right choice, or, you know, maybe the the choice that would be best for you in that situation. I think that's such a more powerful way to convey how difficult it can be to do that when you're struggling. And that can look at the same thing with death as well. Like, you mentioned previously that you wanted to look at the the way that games can look at death as a a win state rather than a fail state. And I'd love to kind of dive into what that means more and and some examples potentially of what you've seen with that
1: yeah definitely so most gamers will kind of get this straight off which is that the idea that death in games is meaningful is a bit is a bit like counterintuitive maybe because when your avatar dies in a game it's not you don't necessarily feel grief in that moment or you don't necessarily experience it in the same way that you would in any way like the actual experience of losing somebody in real life and that's because death in video games is is more of like a metaphor for failure it's basically just a really clear sort of point in that feedback loop that just tells you ah you messed up you didn't press the button in time you know you ran out of time you got overwhelmed by enemies or whatever it is and so death is almost like a teaching tool where it's like here's what went wrong and you know gives you an opportunity to do it again so in some ways I think people might feel like what could video games actually contribute to the the death positivity movement when death is such a kind of like trivial and non-event at least the death Mm. of, of the avatar in most games but what i think is potentially interesting well two things firstly i don't think we should necessarily like gloss over what the potential impact of this association between death and failure actually is in like a broader sense and I'm not saying I'm not like making a causal connection here I'm not saying that because death as failure is a common metaphor in video games therefore society sees death in general as a failure not at all but I do think like sometimes there's like mirrors or the sort of resonances that you can you can pull across to understand something that's complicated a bit easier so we might look for example at the way in the medical profession and sort of the medicalization of death might position death as as a failure, so there's been studies that show that some doctors, when when their patient has like quite a bad prognosis, they may even subconsciously treat that patient differently because they kind of see that prognosis as a sign of professional failure. And obviously, death is not that death isn't a shortcoming. Or death isn't a weakness. We see in a lot of like the kind of competitive and combative rhetoric around, like for example beating cancer or kicking cancer's ass or fighting cancer or whatever it is, you know, there is, and again, I'm not saying that is always bad, but it is interesting that there is this kind of win and lose binary that underpins that type of language. And yeah, maybe it's not, maybe there are other ways to come at it. Maybe we can think that what if death isn't the worst thing that could happen to you? Like what, what would it mean to then ask the question, can you die well? Like what would it mean to, to die well, to to think of death as a win state? How could you win at dying, <laughs> I guess, which does sound really weird when you say it out loud, but it's just an alternative framework rather than seeing like death as you messed up or the doctors messed up.
0: No, it makes sense, though, because like often as well in media, you see death being a terrible thing but immortality being a corrupt thing or terrible thing Mm. as well so it's it's about finding that medium balance and being able to
1: accept it in a way a really good example of what you just said so the idea that that there are other ways to think about death is as you mentioned those those games where death is presented as a win condition and yeah the ones the kind of ones I always go to for examples which I think are just amazing games anyways but are really interesting if you look at them through the lens of grief studies and death studies so that's what remains of Edith Finch where you play out the final moments of all of the ancestors of the eponymous Edith the title character Edith so you only each of those vignettes only ends in death there's no way to really delay or yeah or subvert death in those things and I think the overall message of the game is about it just asks the questions like what does it mean to to live in a way where you embrace mortality or when you accept mortality and I don't think the game is like pushing one one way or the other. I mean, it definitely shows that the Finches kind of live pretty recklessly with, with their like sort of close affiliation with death. Like they're maybe a bit too comfortable kind of living in, in the shadow of death, which perhaps explain, explains like how some of the children at least kind of, yeah, run headlong into that. Mm-hmm. But yeah, then there's also the sense that like Edith herself, you know, she's this incredibly articulate, lyrical, sensitive, you know, teenage girl. And I think part of how she sees the world and why she's able to find so much meaning in things is because she is quite comfortable thinking about how transitory life is I think there's a, like a quote in it which I'm absolutely going to butcher as I paraphrase it but it's something like <laughs> don't think about death as being the anomalous thing think about how unlikely and and miraculous it is that we were even here in the first place and um, death is yeah. like the familiar and life is the extraordinary and I think that's yeah that's a really kind of sort of it captures what that whole message is about in that in that game
0: yeah oh that's such a nice yeah I love that so much because I really I actually really need to play what remains of Edith Finch
1: oh sorry I hope I didn't spoil any of it there. no
0: no not <laughs> at all I, I vaguely know the plot anyway and like I do for a lot of these games but I just I haven't had the time to sit down and appreciate it and I always want to be able to like set that side of time. So I actually really focus on it because I want mm. to do it justice. And then I just yeah. never seem to find it, which is something I need to work on. But it's it's really lovely to be able to see that positivity within something that is almost always associated with terrible feelings, right? And even like normalizing that conversation around it is is ultimately what like makes you less afraid, I guess, because a lot of, I remember like growing up, a lot of people and myself included, I was terrified of death. I didn't understand it. I was, I, It was the worst thing that could ever happen. It was very scary. And when you start to look at games like this to actually make it into that positive tone and bring it into conversation where it's not this really terrifying thing to talk about, like that's where the attitudes start to change a little bit. And not necessarily that you think death is fantastic because obviously like, not really, but <laughs> it, it's just changing that perspective and the tone around the language that we use. In a way. Yeah,
1: absolutely. I think it's just saying that death is what makes life meaningful. Which again, it's, it's fair, it sounds very silly to say it out loud, but it's just none of that. None of the the stories in none of like the little, yeah, tiny. Because like the game is kind of like an anthology of small stories, but like all of those stories only gain meaning because the character knows that their time is is like measured kind of thing. I don't know. It's difficult because again, like part of the joy and the appeal of video games, and again, I think many gamers you use games as coping tools as therapeutic tools and yeah coping with grief I think is like something that games can provide a bit of a refuge for but part of that is because in video games you get to lead like multiple lives like you can live time and time again and of course yeah it's There are limitations to that. You're not physically present maybe in these like amazing worlds that you visit. But yeah, it's like, it's this unbelievable privilege that you get to kind of go into these deathless spaces and just live a hundred thousand times in many different worlds and many different time periods as many different people. And yeah, I don't know, there is something about video games that kind of seems to defy death a little bit, um, or at least push death back and be like, you know what, we're just going to make a little safe space for you. Which you don't have to worry about. You know, did I get the most out of my life? Did I squeeze every last drop out of this? Because you're going to get to experience, yeah, these as many lives as you want, basically infinite lives, cheat codes for lives, (laughs) exactly.
0: (laughs) And like it's it's immortalizing, if that's the right word, Mm -hmm. a story that is interactive as well. Like obviously, we we always treasure these books that are hundreds of years old, and we're like, oh my god, look, it was written this long ago, and it's we can still enjoy it today. And I don't think that's going to change with with games because obviously, like as technology continues to evolve, we're just going to continue to get this. But like being able to have these stories that you also see so many people play through, have a really visceral reaction to these games and these stories, and build a community around it that are going to continue to live on through people
1: is so cool. Like, I d- <laughs> yeah, no, I mean when you hear people like recount you know, their experiences of a specific playthrough, they're not usually being like, oh, and then Elizabeth Bennet, you know, married Mr. Darcy. It's usually like, well, either it's like, yeah, I was going to pick Mr. Darcy, but then I decided he was kind of too, like, dour. And so I decided <laughs> to marry Bingley instead because, you know what, I'm like, a, you know, I like party people and he seems like a more chill guy or whatever it is. But, you know, like the, the idea that every playthrough is unique and when people retell it, they usually, they don't necessarily just recap the plot as it was, Designed by you know the the game writers, they usually tell you about their like personal deviation from that plot or the you know the way that they the specific things that happened to them and yeah, so I do think that, as you said like it it's obviously very similar to novels, and I think fiction is you know the original v r <laughs> the, the ultimate <laughs> simulational tool, but like yeah th- there is something specific to video games that does make you feel like that was your experience that you did that that you lived it rather than yeah vicariously through the character
0: yeah and it evokes the same sort of feelings as well like
1: you know when you read a book
0: and you only ever read it on holiday or whatever so then whenever Mm. you reread it you're like ah, I remember being on the beach (laughs) yeah I kind of think it's a similar thing with games because it's and there's a lot of like comfort within certain games because you go back to a place where you feel the way that you were feeling when you first played it and a lot of people have that especially with like nostalgia like when you start talking about nostalgia in games people see them as comfort games because they go back to a place where they didn't have responsibilities or this was the most exciting thing that was ever happening in their entire lives. And like, it's a really strange phenomenon because it's really, I don't know, it can be really powerful. And I want to talk a little bit about my own experience with this and why basically I became a huge part of the games community and like talking more about mental health is because of that phenomenon, right? Because when you play games you can evoke feelings from a previous time and so Mm. I guess my main experience so when I first was growing up uh, I used to watch my brother play games all of the time right and so that was my experience of playing games it wasn't playing them it was watching someone else play them and that was my comfort and so growing up I, when let's play started to be a thing it was like oh my god this is amazing I can watch other people play games because my brother has gone to university now or my brother has gone to school or whatever it is right and I uh I have that now and that's like a comfort thing that I can watch and I still do that but then when I my I think everyone's relationship with games changes as they grow up and as more things happen and naturally a lot of people kind of you know come and go with their passion for gaming in a way and like sometimes you'll take little breaks or whatever and i wanted to tell a little bit about my story with bereavement and getting back into games as a way to connect with people again so in 2016 i was going back to university uh, for my second year i did zoology it was great and i was moving back into a house with some friends uh, that i met in first year which was great and we already lived together. It was, it was amazing. And then in, I think it was August, like early August, and we were due to go back in September. I had a phone call quite early in the morning. I had been out the night before, so I was like a little bit hungover. Uh, so I didn't answer the call at first because I was like, oh my gosh, I'm exhausted. When I opened like my eyes like an hour later and like, looked at my phone, I saw it was from one of my old housemates' twin sister who... We don't like we we spoke but like never called each other or anything like that. And you know when you just have like that pit in your stomach where you know something's wrong. And so mm. I called her back and like as soon as she answered the phone I could hear like that she was crying and there was like tears and stuff and I was just like oh no <laughs> like something has happened and I'd never experienced anything like this before. And so she told me that her twin sister who was my housemate in first year who was literally the, the nicest person I think I've ever met like she was absolutely bundle of joy and like when you were talking about earlier about making life meaningful because it's limited like that struck su- such a chord with me anyway she told me that she'd passed away um and she'd she'd been in Thailand for a um for a university course doing some like work with conservation and stuff like it was it was a very um, <laughs> her thing to be doing is like work to support other communities of course but she did pass away quite suddenly. And I remember like that was really my first experience with death. And I got off the phone and one of my friends was there because she'd stayed over with with me the night before. And like at first I didn't really react. Like I was kind of very numb to everything. And I'm sure anyone else who's experienced a sort of thing where it's quite sudden and a shock probably might have experienced the same thing. But like oh, it's so strange. Like I just kind of want to talk a little bit about the reaction I had because I've never had it before and I know it's not really to do with games right now but it will become evident why it is but I was just like I'm gonna go for a run <laughs> like I'm just gonna get changed and I'm gonna go for a run like that seems like the good thing to do right now like I've just found out one of my friends has died and I'm gonna go for a run and I think my friend was like what is wrong with you I don't understand like if you want if that's what you want to do that's okay but like are you sure and I was like yeah I'm gonna yeah it's fine I'm good I'm good Uh, I called my parents as well, so they were aware. They were actually away at the time, um, so they didn't really know what to do. I think they were just a bit lost. I think I I left them a voicemail, and then I was like, yeah, I'm going to go on a run, and I think I got maybe 100 metres down the road before I collapsed on the street and was just in absolute floods, couldn't breathe, walked myself home, and then just sat down in the shower for like two hours and just cried, and I didn't understand it. And then, like obviously, because I, I was home alone at this point, I was I was still a teenager, really. I was well, like nineteen, which isn't really a teenager, but you know, <laughs> yeah, it was one of the most unbelievably difficult things to process that I think I've ever gone through in my entire life. And that was my first real experience with death. And going back to university, and this is where the games start to come in, right? Is because it had been a month it was a month later. It was incredibly difficult to go back to university after that. Um, because obviously if you go somewhere with somebody, you see them everywhere. <laughs> Especially when they're not her twin sister actually. Uh, had applied to come to our university as well so then that was its own branch of confusion for me because seeing her identical twin sister walking around campus was a lot but uh, within that space of going back to university and living in a house with some friends who were all very close to her as well and didn't really know how to process it one of the things that connected us back together again was literally sitting and watching each other play games not even interacting a lot of the time and one of those games that I was playing or (laughs) what I was watching someone else play it was kingdom which is like I don't know if you've ever played kingdom it's this it's it's gorgeous I would really recommend it it's this side scroller pixel art defense game I guess where you you are like the little monarch in your situation and you're running around um, (laughs) trying to build up your kingdom and protect it from the greed, which are just people who, like these little monsters who come and attack you. And I don't know why, but we got completely drawn into this little world because nothing like, it was very self-contained. There wasn't like a ton of story. There wasn't a ton of lore. It was just like very easy to play, easy to watch and easy to get sucked into this little 30 minute game before it either ended or you completed it, right? (laughs) And honestly, that was the the main thing that brought us together to be able to be in a space where we felt safe enough to start talking about things like grief and like what we were doing with the fact that one of our friends was was dead. Like, how do we even move past that, right? Like, it's so, it's not something that should happen when you're 19. And it was it wasn't a linear journey don't get me wrong like we had uh, a lot of ups and downs and a lot of different experiences I started getting panic attacks again <clears throat> especially every time I'd go out like to parties or anything I would just have to come home because I wasn't in a fit state to do that and that was a learning process for me but one thing that we could always come back to during that time was to come and play games in a safe space and that was what kind of grounded us or at least grounded me during that time and so I guess there's not like a point to it but I just want to really emphasize the power that games can have when dealing with something so unprecedented and so difficult, and bring that back into the conversation and bring you almost like back into society and not feeling like you have to isolate yourself during that time.
1: (laughs) Yeah, first of all, like, yeah, thank you so much for sharing that. I think, like, like we said, like it is really important to be able to talk about these things, not least because, as you said, the fact that you had that experience almost like a dissociation and numbness as you said and your friend being confused by that reaction I think again it's because there is like this there isn't enough conversation about how we should process grief or what is a normal or abnormal process obviously there's no such thing as either but yeah I think it's really really powerful to be able to to talk about these sort of personal experience of it so at least then we have a kind of collective community sort of data bank of like reactions and that we can feel like yeah that other people went through something similar and felt something similar and there is no right or wrong way to to grieve yeah
0: exactly because I think a lot of the time you're taught as children if someone's grieving you just leave them alone and you let them do their thing which for some people might be the best Mm -hmm. thing to do of course but like I think we forget the humanity of it is just like people are still people and whilst they're going through something that maybe they're really struggling with you can still talk to them like they're a human being like you don't have to tread around eggshells with them all of the time and just like the simple thing of asking what you can do to help or how you can best support them in that time is much more valuable than assuming that they need to be left alone or you need to coddle them with support because often it's really down to personal
1: preference yeah and I think there's a lot of kind of myths around the griefing grieving process I mean I think most people kind of know the five steps of grief the kind of Elizabeth Kubler-Ross model of grief where you go through the denial and the bargaining and you're ultimately supposed to kind of complete grief as a process with acceptance and and moving on and yeah I mean obviously that's been well firstly the original research was taken completely out of context because Elizabeth Kubler-Ross was doing studies with terminally ill people so it wasn't about how the the kind of loved ones of of the deceased were coping it was how individuals who knew that their time was kind of limited were responding so firstly there's that but secondly that's also kind of been debunked as a really unhelpful way of thinking about grief because grief doesn't follow a linear model as you said like it doesn't fit within a kind of typology and I think most kind of bereavement counsellors now would would talk more about this kind of I think it's called like a constructionist approach to grief where you kind of meet the person where they're at. And part of that, which I think is really interesting to go back to like how art, literature and games might help us have better conversations about death is to listen to the language that the person is using to describe their feelings and try to, yeah, use that language almost as like a raft to cling on to in a kind of ocean of 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 feelings of being overwhelmed. So one very common thing is people talk about it as like a hole in their lives and kind of what you described about, you know, there was this kind of rip in the social fabric. And everywhere you looked, you were aware that there was this absence, that somebody who should be there was not there. And the reason why that was so obvious is almost like a jigsaw puzzle where when you lay all the other pieces in, like going back to university, you suddenly become super aware, hyper aware that there's that missing piece in the middle because all the other pieces are are there and yeah so a common like metaphor that people go to is like a hole as a hole in my life and then yeah using that as a starting point as a kind of bereavement counselor you can then think through okay well do you really want to fill in that hole or is that hole something you know does that hole kind of yeah need to be there whatever it is and yeah the kind of another way of thinking about it is that you'll never shrink the size of that hole the only thing you can do is make sure that your life grows bigger around it so that proportionally the hole takes up less of your space but the whole will never shrink that person that shape will always remain that same absence but your life is going to grow so much bigger and broader around it that that will be that will feel more manageable because your whole world won't be the whole basically um so yeah it's just like one example but if we have better conversations better language or and it doesn't even have to be verbal language. That's, that's, again, what's so cool about video games is, like, a lot of the games that I think present grief in the most interesting and the most useful ways, they're actually wordless games. Like, they don't use verbal language because they know that there can be something really almost, like, shallow and superficial about adding a label to an emotion when when an emotion is felt, you know, everywhere in your body and and, and it's something that's kind of too big to be contained in something as kind of clinical and precise as a word. Yeah. So yeah other media kind of have to rely on words to communicate but video games don't have to do that they can talk about they can express things through rule-based systems which are really good for showing broken structures unfair structures breaks and holes in the structures and so on or they can yeah they can use audio they can use visuals like beautiful images and you know other other ways of coming at that experience of grief without having to kind of tie it down yeah and I think like
0: especially with games and having that That combination of loads of different things it gives you the space to be able to kind of insert yourself into that situation and interpret it how you want to in a way like and that's the kind of beauty of it and I know you get the same with films and and things but like like you say if it's an experience without words it becomes deliberately unintentional so that you have to think of your own personal way through it right and so like oh gosh i don't know it's just it's just fascinating like there's so many games that are about very specific experiences but so many people can relate to them because of the unique human element that a lot of people share
1: during these these yeah. things right yeah they have so much space for yeah like subjective <coughs> reactions <coughs> because of that but yeah the other thing that you said as well is about how the game that you guys are playing, even though it was like very simple and kind of like, you know, it was a bounded experience. But again, I think one of the ways that video games are often dismissed is being like, oh, they're just like escapist or they're just kind of, they just sort of help you kind of dissociate from reality rather than process reality. But firstly, I think that's so... Wrong-headed. like shouldn't we want to give people like refuges and respite especially if they can't actually change things in their external world for whatever reason like isn't it a really good thing to pro- provide them with these small portals into other spaces where they can regroup and you know where things are simple but maybe that predictability is so reassuring when the real world you know, seems completely arbitrary, like the loss of somebody so young doesn't make sense. There's no logic to that. And it's, and it's so upsetting, because there's no narrative you can tell in which that in any way is rational. And then yeah, you can go into this game world where consequences are like predefined. And you know, everything is, it's still challenging, but the challenge is like fair, I suppose. And I think it's, I think, yeah, we shouldn't dismiss the value of giving people a little bit of relief from the unfairness of reality
0: i've never understood the, the like negative associations with escapism like i understand to an extent of course but for the most part like as an overthinker i process a lot of things unconsciously when i'm not thinking and that is important for me to be able to move forward because i can't always trust my brain to be able to think rationally um and so like having media To allow me the space to think about it with something else on my mind so I don't overthink and go into overdrive and and self sabotage is so valuable.
1: Yeah. And also just having something to put your focus and energy on because, yeah, I think it's like, I mean, this is going to a whole different kettle of fish, but I tried to, to, I was part of like a mindfulness study once and I've really tried at various points in my life to meditate and to do meditation and I know that it's so helpful and it's an amazing tool for a lot of people but it just doesn't work for me like the best I could do was like the kind of walking meditation but the only reason that was that was able to do it is because the grounding thing of actually having to put one foot in front of the other helped me do that but video games are a meditative experience for me not all video games but so many of them because they take me to that mental state and that mental space that supposedly meditation can take other people to which is where yeah you are absolutely absorbed but not in a but not in a kind of I don't know it's not it's a it's a clarity and a focus rather than an absence of of yeah it's not dissociative basically it's incredibly grounding is what I'm trying to say so yeah I think video games can be an amazing tool for people I mean they're not a silver bullet they're not going to work for everybody but for people who aren't able to yeah access other kind of coping strategies I think they're yeah they can they can genuinely be medicinal in that sense a
0: hundred percent like I cannot clear my mind but what I can do is play Stardew Valley and only thing I care about is finding a mushroom in the forest like you know what I mean (laughs) like and that's meditative, meditative enough for me Um, just being able to focus on one single thing that's not really it's quite arbitrary right
1: yeah and then there are certain games as well that I kind of think of as like a mandala which is like a a kind of tool used in meditation in some contexts where it's like a beautiful abstract image that's meant to like focus your attention while you're yeah mentally like shifting into a meditative state but yeah like you know games like journey for example um, or any kind of game even Sardew Valley I think not even but maybe especially Sardew Valley because it's so beautiful and you know it's just yeah I don't know it's it's it is a way of focusing your 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 thoughts and then you have another subset of games like I think Gris by Nomada Studios is a good example of this which totally mm-hmm. works as a mandala because it's gorgeous it's like stunning you know watercolor hand-painted art a really you know the soundtrack is this kind of beautiful bright sort of piano melody but mixed with these like lovely low synth sounds so it has this kind of gravity to it it's just really really pleasant and yet that game is encouraging you to reflect on on grief and on the grieving process so it's almost like a kind of yeah like a kind of spirit guide guided meditation that allows you to kind of safely look at something that's difficult provide structure for looking at something that's difficult whilst also being a meditative experience, and again I, I'm just not sure there's many other media out there that can do that that can take you to that headspace of yeah that kind of flow state absorption headspace mm-hmm. whilst also encouraging you and inviting you to reflect on things that are difficult to express in words and that you might not otherwise really want to look at outside of the context of play you might not really want to sit down and I don't know. Yeah, subject yourself to like a four-hour or eight-hour, yeah, th- thinking about grief in, in the case of Gris.
0: Yeah, and there's there's a couple of other games that I wanted to touch on that you've mentioned about these and dreary because you said like a four <laughs> four to eight hour or whatever it is experience about something really hard. Mm-hmm. Um, and the one that was the most hard hitting for me that you've mentioned is that Dragon Cancer, which is. If you mm. haven't played it, it is an experience. It's not uplifting, <laughs> but it is, in my experience, it's not very uplifting. It's quite hard to play, but it is incredible in the way that it immerses you and gets you to think about grief in a, in a completely
1: isolated story. And I'd love to know your thoughts on that game specifically. Yeah, I mean, I I think it's an amazing game. It's one of the most raw and intimate um simulations of grief ever like I I'm not a religious person and I I actually find the idea of an afterlife a little bit like potentially a little bit uncomfortable I remember after my grandpa passed away people told me oh he's going to be like watching you like watching down on you or something and I was like I really bloody hope not like I really hope he's just (laughs) at peace and not you know like I mean I love my grandpa he was second father to me but I don't know I, I found something very not comforting about the idea of just persisting eternally without yeah. you know without his loved ones basically but also without a you know purpose or without a driving force just to kind of float in the ether was weird to me but all that's to say is that it feels like a sentence almost yeah exactly what a weird yeah I mean I I can understand that some people might find it really comforting but And also, again, with with grief, like the idea that grief has to have an end point is completely wrong. And I think we should be able to continue to nurture evolving connections with like our lost loved ones. And that should be fine. And if you need to imagine a kind of of heaven uh, or or angels to do that, I think that's actually really good and healthy. But anyway, that Dragon Cancer was the first game where, again, with that first person emotion, I actually prayed within the game, like I was role-playing as the father figure. So I guess it wasn't necessarily me praying, but it was, you know, I've had lots of discussions with religious friends about their beliefs. um, And it's never really, I've never really, I've always respected them for, you know, having a different set of beliefs, but I've personally never like got it. And that Dragon Cancer was the first time where I really, really understood what prayer was um, and what the purpose of it was and how it could be healing and how it could be restorative. And um, yeah, and so I think that's, again, just another testament to the, to the power of the medium. Um, and again, like one thing I'm interested in, in that game is that part of it is, you know, part of their creation of that game was processing their grief. And that's really interesting because that taps into something that um, Doris Roosh, who's a researcher, has like done a lot on, which she she basically kind of comes from a an art space therapy perspective saying that the process of game design can actually be therapeutic in and of itself so the idea that you take a really messy really complex really potentially unpleasant lived experience and you translate that into a set of rules with win conditions fail conditions resources obstacles challenges um and basically systematize it she says that in itself can give you an amazing feeling of not of mastery but necessarily but of like ownership of what what happened to you um and also it can allow you to simulate you know alternate outcomes and and to recognize that what happened to you wasn't your fault or wasn't because you did something wrong but because it was the outcome of like a a set of variables basically so outlining those variables is helpful to get that kind of perspective that's so interesting oh my gosh yeah doris Roos is amazing i think her book It's called Making Deep Games. It came out in 2018. It's it is an academic book, so it's like not necessarily like a kind of you know pick up and read thingy. But she writes really well, and there's definitely like you can pick and pick out little extra excerpts of it to get a sense of what she was heading towards overall. So yeah, I think you can really feel that when you play that Dragon Council, which is like you are side by side with two parents who are on a journey, um, and that journey is you know not really complete. Um, and the second thing I really like about that game is that, not really like about it, but that I find interesting is that it's a memorialization of Joel, their son. So it's it's trying to kind of create a digital capture of who he was. And that's not just, you know, the same as taking a photograph of a video of, of their son, um, but it's actually creating an interactive, yeah, version of him that can be played with. And the final bit of that dragon cancer is you're in this, island at the end of the world I think it's called and you're having a picnic and it's beautiful the sun is setting you're blowing bubbles and you can just hear like the baby Joel laughing and there is no like push to leave you can stay in that sequence for as long as you want and if you stop interacting the camera sort of eventually starts to pan away but the second that you press any button you're taken right back to be with Joel you know in that kind of basically that heaven that his parents made for him and for them basically and I think again it just raises really interesting questions about what is preserved when we preserve our loved ones in game form because yeah it's still immaterial in the sense that like a picture is not it doesn't have the physical presence of that person or a video doesn't have the physical presence but it captures something else it captures their their playful self and the idea that you can how can maybe we have, you know, new interactions that combine your memory of them, but with new input, with new stimulus, with new, yeah, new encounters through play, I think is, I don't know, I mean, I'm definitely, I don't want to really imagine a world of like cyber immortality, necessarily, but the idea of that we can reconceptualize memorialization as a form of play, I think, is meaningful, just because play is like, like we said before, like, when we go into our playful mode, we're in this safe bounded space where we can actually confront really difficult things um more easily and mm-hmm. yeah I don't know I just I, I really like I understand I, I don't know I don't keep saying like I don't like this I just find it fascinating <laughs> and I really empathize yeah. with it I suppose is what I'm trying to say I understand the the urge to yeah to preserve your child to preserve a playful version of your child
0: it's almost like it's got that mechanic that's almost opposite to before your eyes because with what you were saying mm. about you can stay as long as you want in that heaven right it's kind of like if, if anyone's played before your eyes who's listening uh, or hasn't it's a game that you control by blinking you can turn it off but like that's the main point of it right and so every time you blink the story will progress um which is a really I've never seen that mechanic in a game before Mm. ever. And I found it incredibly interesting to be able to see how quickly something can just be gone. And that in duality with what you were saying with Joel in the fact that you can be in this perfect heaven, but you know, it's not going to last forever, right? It's, It's as soon as you blink, it's the next scene. And that in itself is a really powerful game mechanic to be able to put into place because you as a player find yourself wanting to really just stay in the moment and trying your absolute best to not blink um to try
1: and enjoy it a little bit longer because you don't know what the next chapter is going to be yeah it's an incredible mechanic for making you value those small mundane moments so the fact that you're rewarded for being able to literally keep your eyes open as long as you can by just that little bit more content just one more second with your mom or just one more line of conversation you know with your best friend i think it's just a yeah again it's a it's an embodied metaphor for how we should think about those moments how much we should cherish those moments and how we should put emphasis on them basically and i just think like again just there's no other medium that could make you feel that panicked I suppose about the idea of of the passage of time but also teaching you the lesson that yeah you can't hold on to it and so maybe you should just yeah try to enjoy it and try to yeah I don't know relax (laughs) yeah (laughs) it's okay just to embrace the
0: fact that you know it's not going to be forever and that's like a really weird thing to kind of accept isn't it to be like oh my gosh I want to know every single part of the story but you're not going to like it you're going to miss dialogue you're going to act acci- uh, like yeah. the amount of times I accidentally blinked through some important dialogue I am sure um oh god just, yeah me too oh my gosh so stressful but in a way it, it makes it the experience that it was
1: designed for absolutely yeah I think that just like that dragon cancer I would say I say this jokingly but I'm like it broke me but like when I, what I mean by that is like I feel like I was fundamentally changed by the experience yeah. of playing that game and a partly is because you know it it is so careful and it is so sensitive to to approach that topic and that theme with with real like knowledge and expertise you, f- you really feel the sense that they they did actually consult with people with lived experience and Yeah, they really did authentically capture something true about that experience. And at the same time, because you are playing, you're almost like you have this meta awareness that what you're doing is playful. And that in itself, again, like I just think it's that oscillation between critical distance to understand, you know, what the message is, whilst also being incredibly immersed and invested in the characters. And as players we're constantly oscillating between those two modes of like almost like strategic thought and then make believe play kind of role play type of engagement um and that's perfect for thinking through difficult topics like that's what we really want we want to be able to feel them and then think about them and reflect on them and we want to constantly be yeah shifting between those two modes of engagement and that's in a way I think yeah more valuable than just I don't know straight up empathizing with this terminally ill boy but to actually be able to feel with him and then also critically reflect on on on, on the experience as well it's it's just cool video games are cool man yeah that's the tagline
0: <laughs> that's the final like, take, take home of this podcast and that's it's the very sound clip cool. <laughs> yeah <laughs> that's cool no I think that's the perfect place to kind of wrap it up as well because it's it's coming back to the idea that ultimately it's not there's no one single way to process grief and by being able to use play as a way to explore your own feelings and and reflect on yourself and your own experiences is a fantastic step forward into being able to to process that yeah definitely but yeah thank you honestly thank you so much for coming on the podcast it has been thank you so much for having me it's been amazing talking to you you're so knowledgeable you're doing so (laughs) much work um within this space and I, I can't wait to catch up with you once you've got more research under your belt and this project is underway because I I feel like it's going to be so enlightening for a lot of people
1: definitely yeah well I'll definitely keep you posted on how how that develops um but yeah I also would love to come back at a future point and yeah carry on the conversation amazing Thank you so much for tuning in to another episode of Safe Space.
0: If you're struggling, please know that there is support out there and if you're looking for somewhere to start, please do visit our website at safeinourworld.org for a list of global helplines, information and support. You can also find us on all of the social medias at Safe in Our World if you'd like to follow the charity in our future endeavors. Thanks for listening and we'll see you next time.